What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Primal Baseball Podcast. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Primal Baseball, P-R-I-M-A-L-B-S-B-L. Check out the links in our bio. Check out the links in our comments for some discounts on all of our partners and affiliates. Today on the episode, I have Brent from Top Velocity. Really excited to get into a conversation about pitching pitching mechanics and honestly anything that comes to our mind and anything we find our way into so without further ado i'm going to let brent introduce himself and go a little bit deeper on who he is so brent thanks for coming on yeah man thank you for having me on i'm excited to be be on your podcast brent porcio i I have a company called top velocity i've had it for about 16 years we do basic player development um so big, big emphasis on developing um, or optimizing mechanics and, and developing a better athlete to, to move, you know, use those mechanics to, to get performance gains, you know, like obviously velocity is a big thing. So we, you know, focusing on velocity, focusing on, um, you know, health, health is another big thing, focusing on spin. So it's really what top velocity is. So um, and personally, I played, uh, I, well, starting in the beginning of my career, I tore my rotator cuff at 18 and, and doctor said I'd never play again. It was in my first college appearance in JUCO and, and I wound up playing again and, and it took a really diving into science. And I, this is in 1995. So this is really before a big break in science and pitching and I, I had to kind of like improvise a lot on a lot of. Of, of what was out there and, and in using all this information uh, and using an Olympic approach, we can talk more about if you like, um, I got myself back, I got myself healthy, I got myself throwing harder than I ever thrown before I, I got up to like low to mid 90s. And then I wound up getting my college career a little bit of, of it back went and played uh, indie ball played in Europe, and really wanted to coach what I had learned. So I decided to launch it online. And I just happened to get online very early. I got on YouTube in 2006, which is like close to the beginning of YouTube. I got on Instagram in 09, I think, close to the beginning of Instagram. So I really started putting a lot of pitching content, like and a lot of the science on on the internet very early before a lot, a, a lot of people. So that helped a lot in, in growing top velocity. Uh, since then, I've gotten a master's in kinesiology. I'm currently finishing my PhD in sports science. Um, and, I'm, I, and I always love studying and, and trying to improve our understanding of, of movement and of, of pitching. And, you know, but I, I've stayed on where I love to be and I love to be in biomechanics. I, I really, I, I really, I wouldn't say I feel like a pioneer because, you know, great guys like Tom House, uh, Dick Mills, as far as on the pitching side, they were here before me and, and, you know, they're kind of the generation before me. And I feel like I'm that next generation. Um, and it's just fun, man, just taking a lot of this great information that comes out every day and, and putting it out there. So, yeah. And I wanted to get a little bit into, and you need to correct me if I'm wrong, but is it kinesiology? Did I pronounce yeah, that right? Kinesiology. I, I can't yeah. even spell it. So. Okay. So yeah, I just wanted to get, I know you have an MS in, in kinesiology and, I just wanted, you know, for, for the listeners who maybe don't know what that is, I, I was wondering if you could go a little bit deeper into that and then how that, the study of kinesiology and, and what it is, how that helps, you know, pitching performance and how that affects us in our, in our performance on the mound. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the best way to look at it is, you know, biomechanics is kind of a new field, but the studies, you know, kinesiology, the study of movement has been around for a long time. So, and then here's the thing, like baseball, unfortunately, due to like kind of ignorance, they, they think they have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to movement. Um, and because they don't realize that it's already been, uh, quantified and broken down and, and there's terminology to define everything in the body and how it, how it moves and interacts. And then you have physics, you know, done adding physics to that. But the, 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 that's really what, you know, kinesiology is all about. So I, I, I think that's important. And unfortunately it's hard to find in the baseball world. You have all these guys thinking that they're defining the, the, you know, the terms of movement and it's already been defined. And so I, I just, people need to know that they need to learn it. Uh, and it's important that even all coaches start to learn it. I like to see more coaches get a, you know, master's in kinesiology, master's in exercise science certifications and, and, and all of it, you know, and, and because it, what it does is it universalizes the, the language. So everyone basically learns the language. So we're all speaking the same language as opposed to everyone speaking their own language, which makes it all really dysfunctional. And um, it doesn't really help the young player. And that's the problem at the end, you know, there's so many accounts out there. I mean, you're, you, you said you got into Instagram in 2009. I'm sure back then it might've been a little bit easier to navigate the social media. If, if you're a young player trying to figure out how to get better. But I mean, today you could log on to Instagram TikTok, Facebook, whatever, and you're going to get hit with 5 million different accounts through the algorithms that are, that are, um, helping get that content to you. And you're just going to be overwhelmed with how to move your body, what drills to do every, every five seconds, you're going to be recommended a new drill to do. And I think it's just really important, like you said, to get back to the cliche fundamentals of like how you move and, and what movements can be good for your pitching performance. And, and, Sometimes, yes, we need to further ourselves in mechanics and, and get a little bit better and deeper. But for the most part, like do the small things right and you should have a, a pretty good chance. And, and, you know, for the guys who don't have as many resources, um, you know, from for like guys like me who've been from Vermont and maybe we don't have <laughs> have all the, the cool gadgets and, and whatnot that everyone else does. If you can do the simple things, like Brett, Brent said, if you can do the simple things right you're going to be all right in the end so i just think that was a good a good little snippet to touch on and and now i'm kind of moving into the the controversial parts of of the podcast i, I you know I, I when when going through your content to try to get some good questions and ideas on what to cover i, I wanted to cover weighted balls and yeah. i wanted and, and we'll start there let's just cover weighted, weighted balls yeah. should we use them why not why should we Let's let's dive in. Yeah, and you know there is science on all this, and there definitely isn't enough. We could do so much more on it, but just in the science we have, there's not much, if any at all, especially that's biased and not biased. Um, that looking at weighted ball use for pitchers and specifically on the on the side of health now. When you look at the health aspects of, of weighted balls, it does eliminate a lot of the studies. There's only literally like two <laughs> studies ever done that looked at health on, on weighted balls. And both of them are bad, like negative. Like they, 
they don't show much positives on the sign of health. So to be honest, that's the big issue. And that's the big issue I have with it. I mean, I think it, for me, it comes two ways. Like I happen to be using weighted balls when I tore my rotator cuff. And, and I know many other players who've had serious injuries with it. Um, you know, but everybody likes to say, you know, correlation doesn't mean causation. Well, we can argue that forever, but, but, the, but the point is, is like, so I have a, I have a, an experience aspect to it where I, 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 you know, a negative experience with it. Right. But then just looking at the, the science of it, I, I understand the science on it and, and the science is concerning. So basically the two studies that found the health issues were what they found was that throwing weighted balls didn't do anything, but gain, you gained external rotation in your throwing arm. So in those studies, uh, there was no gain in arm speed. There was no gain in arm strength. There was an, a, a pretty uh, aggressive uh, gain in external rotation range of motion, uh, about up to 10 degrees. And there's many other studies that says that's a very high risk amount of ER uh, to gain, external rotation to gain. And it could be the link to all the injury in the studies. The, specifically, the Reynolds study had about 27% of those in the study got injured with the weighted balls and no one got injured in the control group, which was uh, just a base throwing baseballs. Yep. So, and then, then it goes kind of back to the experience. I, I, I was kind of one of the, when, when weighted balls got popular again, and don't get me wrong, weighted balls are some of the first studies in baseball. If you go back to the 1960s, I found evidence of weighted balls in baseball in world war one. So it's, it's a very old, uh, modality in, in training baseball. So, and you'd think we'd have way more studies on it because of that, but we don't, but, but just in those studies of that, the health, the, it's just concerning to, Oh, and then, and going back to my experience was I I've, when I started speaking out against it, I started getting the phone calls, you know, think about it. There really wasn't many people speaking out against it when it got popular back, back when, uh, Steve Delabar got it on HBO and, and it blew up and everybody wanted it again. And I, so I got started getting the phone calls. I kind of became the, I got injured by weighted balls hotline and I was getting calls once a week and it was horrific. I mean, the stories I was getting was just ridiculous. And so to be on that side and be the hotline and then have a personal experience and read the studies and find that only the only gains in weighted ball throwing is a 10 degree external rotation gain in passive range of motion, which is high risk of injury. Now, like I can't find any positives in it. And on top of that, I came up with an alternative with a, a medicine ball approach with two hands that allows us to use the overload approach and it, but it doesn't put the arm at risk. So yeah, I'm just, unfortunately, because of all that, I, I really don't, I speak out against them, unfortunately. So yeah. And there's, I mean, just because you know some somebody loves weighted balls doesn't mean doesn't mean they're wrong and just because somebody doesn't like weighted balls doesn't mean they're wrong like there's there's so many so many different methods and techniques out there that that you know you you pick and choose what you decide so i, I think that that's great to hear both sides of the story and and it, it, it's not always going to be one side so to get both sides and get as much information and knowledge as you can is 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 really yeah well i mean yeah. i think the other side of the story is what you're saying the other side of the story is if you look at those studies, there's a percentage not getting hurt. Yeah. So that that's the other side of the story. Right. There's those that aren't getting hurt. And why do I think they're not getting hurt? To be honest, I think they're better movers. They're, they have more 
joint mobility. Yep. And because of that, they're better movers. So I think it's it's a it's something that it's obviously less risky for some, much more risky for others. And if you don't know where you are in that spectrum, you I wouldn't do them until you learn if you're the good mover or not. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and and you touched on one thing that I wanted to touch on and that you touched on there was was the med balls. And and I want you to talk about why med balls are such a a great tool to use and especially for the guys who, right, who don't have a lot of equipment. Like you can literally take a med ball, like grab one on Amazon for five bucks, like a two pound, whatever, whatever, like two pound, six pound, eight pound, whatever you want and go into a field or go to a fence and rip it. Like, so I just, maybe you could touch on, you know, how med balls can help us with, with rotation and, and pitching and how guys with, with those low resources or little to no resources can use those to, to improve yeah first off there's a poor mentality or or a a lack of understanding in in what it really takes to improve performance pitching and and usually like if you think of on the velocity side if you're trying to use stress to improve your velocity you're gonna lose meaning like if you're trying to just volume your throws throw higher intensity throws higher weighted throws max distance throws, meaning stress, 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 finding ways to put more stress in your throws, you're going to lose. It's just because the problem is we have a pattern of injury. So the game has a high risk of arm injury. It's very common. Um, I think like probably one, I mean, the amount of people that have had arm pain is probably almost 90%, maybe 95%. So there's a good chance you could really hurt yourself. So that's why you're going to lose if you use a stress, 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 or, you know, repetition, repetition approach to developing perform pitching performance. Um, so first of all, you got to understand that. So like a lot of people would say, well, if, if it's not about putting stress on my body and trying to make my body better, then what is it? Well, it is putting stress, but it's putting stress on your body and just more and more athletic movements, more controlled functional movements that don't carry a pattern of injury like in the weight room and in you know on the field and speed and agility work stuff like that that's where you can use the stress model i wouldn't do it in the throwing the throwing where do you get better in the throwing mechanics so the throwing model should be your work always working on mechanics to improve your movement your motor control your your movement patterns um, because that way you'll also you'll you'll make just as much of a velocity gain because on top of that you're putting the stress in your strength and conditioning and better movements and you're not putting the wear and tear, which is the culprit to the pattern of injury. So that being said, that's a better way to go at training for and gains um, within going within a, a biomechanical approach than as opposed to just a stress approach. So, and then within that, that, so whenever you use something, any modality, it needs to be within those circumstances or within that method. So, for example, when we use a med ball, that med ball is there to teach us to move better, not to put stress on us to try to, like, adapt and overcome that stress. So we use a med ball to teach us. So when we grab a med ball and we throw it with two hands, we typically use a two-pound med ball, eight-inch diameter. That's like a soccer ball kind of size. Uh, you could, if you, if you can't afford a med ball, you can get a basketball. It's just, it's not two pounds, but it's a place to start. 
And the reason we're doing that as an overload approach is because when you hold it with two hands, your arm can't pull away. It can't disconnect from your trunk. If your arm disconnects from your trunk, the point of disconnection where the limb is going that way and the trunk is going that way is where all the torque is. So the better we can keep our arms with, working with our trunks and funneling the energy out of our trunks, our arms are going to be much heavier or healthier. The, and it's, there's studies and the science shows that 86% of the energy that goes through your arm to the ball comes from the trunk. So using the arm as a funnel of the trunk is really the key to health and performance because you can get a lot more energy out of your trunk than you can get out of your arm. It's a bigger part of your body. So if we're in the, in, in the med ball throws, if, in keeping two hands, it's not allowing the arm to disconnect and drag and push, right? It's keeping it connected. But now the arm has to work better with the trunk to funnel the energy. So you have to start learning the arm to trunk movements, the patterns of the arm sinking and countering with the trunk. And then you got to learn what powers the trunk is the legs and hip and how the legs and hip power the trunk to then power and funnel energy to the arm. So that's why we use the med ball approach. It's two hands, it's overload. So it's a challenge. It's a challenge to the movement, the motor control, not just stress on the body. Yeah, of course you get core work out of it, but that's not really why we use it. And uh, it's done in a position to where you're really loading the trunk and the, and the hips more than just loading the crap out of the arm, which is why in the weighted ball studies, you're getting so much external rotation range because that's the shoulder trying to adapt to all the stress that's pulling the arm back when you throw. So when you understand the, the med ball approach we do, you got to understand it's not in that stress, stress, stress model. It's in a motor learning better movements model. That's what we're using it for. And, and then also because it's forcing you to use more of the kinetic chain than your arm, it's healthier as well. It's not always the arm. Like it's not the arm. That's the one that is driving the motion or driving the throw. I think a lot of times, uh, even, you know, like I look back and think that it's funny when, when somebody's like, Oh, that guy's got a great arm. Like, He's, yeah. he's got a great arm, like he's got a cannon for an arm, but really what they're talking about is he just sequences and pattern and patterns really well. Like it's not necessarily that his arm is the strongest, like there's guys who have really strong shoulders and really strong biceps and triceps and whatever, strong arms, just all in general, but they might not throw the hardest because they don't sequence properly or they don't have the the drivers of the throw in the right places. Like you said, like we got to, we got to work from the ground and then that goes up the chain through our hips, through our torso, and then to the arm. But if there's energy leaking somewhere along that chain, or if we're trying to put it all in our arm and having a really muscular, like non, non-fluid arm, then we're going to have some, some issues, whether that's the injury you're talking about or just leaving velocity on the table. So it's really important to understand that even though so many people have said, you know, this guy has a good arm. Really, it's he's a good mover and, and he, he has good mechanics and he has a good rotation from his torso and his hips. And then that carries to the arm and the arms just along for the ride. So I think that's a really important part of, of the yeah. discussion to take. I mean, on. that's it. But it's also you got to be aware that you do have not everybody. Most people aren't perfect movers. Everybody has their issues. And you do see a lot of guys getting by with just powerful upper bodies, like just really fast, strong upper bodies. 
And so that does, I mean, I know that exists. It's just, if I'm going to coach someone to do it well, I'm not going to coach them just to build a fast, strong upper body. Because in my, in my book, I mean, let's, of course, every athlete comes in different sizes and, and tension strength and all this affects injury. But most of those guys that are more dominant upper body guys, they're just not going to be as healthy over time. Um, but it's not that they can't be healthy. It's just on average, it's going to be harder for that group of guys to be healthy. And do you, and do you think that when we're talking about these upper body, the upper body dominant guys are when you, when you're talking about like health or or velocity wise, is that, is that more towards in the game, maybe their stamina, like if they're more lower body dominant and and they have a good lower half, does that play into a, in, in, does that play a role where if they're more upper body, they're going to have you know, some fatigue later in the game where maybe later in the game, if they're more lower half dominant, they're able to maintain velocity and, and maintain their mechanics. Does that play a role? Yeah, man, there's just so many variables. I mean, it's like, you know, our brains understand things more black and white or, or like in buckets and categories, but it really doesn't work that way. Everything just kind of commingles and mixes together. Um, so you can never like say, well, what about the lower body guys? Cause there's really not lower body guys. There, yeah. There's guys that use their lower bodies really well, but it's like, there's so many variables here. You could have a guy that has a really amazing lower body and a really weak upper body and he's injured all the time. You'd have a guy who's got a really weak lower body and a real strong power upper body and he's never injured. So, but at the end of the day, the better movers are the guys that are powerful loader bodies, strong upper bodies, and they sequence the kinetic chain beautifully. And not only that, then they're good at sequencing pitches and pitch strategies. And you, you, that's the, that's the machine you're trying to build. If you, if you can get the whole thing like that, those are the guys that are going to last forever. And, and you're right. Those are the guys that are going to pitch longer, but still you can get a guy who's poor lower half upper body dominant. Maybe he's got two just really knockout pitches yeah. and he knows when he's over pitched and he knows how to throttle himself correctly. And the guy pitches a long time. It's just, if you, the problem is, is when young kids hear that, they're like, well, I'm kind of that guy. Let me just be that guy. But I would like to see how many of those guys exist. Like, cause I might be talking about outliers, which I kind of feel like sometimes if it gets too much, like, you know, specific to upper body and two, you know, knockout pitches and the guy's six, five, two eighty. Like that's an outlier. Like be careful saying that no, I'm kind of like that. I'm gonna follow that guy. I don't have his size, but I pitch like that. You know, it's like, that's the problem here. It's like when we're talking, I'm not saying that these guys don't exist. When I talk about what's the best way to pitch, what I'm saying is if you're going to pick away and you're, you're and, and you're just an average dude, you, you probably need to pick some, you need to pick the way of learn the kinetic chain, build a whole, a powerful system from the ground up, you know, and, and, and then, you know, whatever, get with the coach and find what are the best pitches for you and your slots and your spin rates, as opposed to just picking the way you want to be, you know, learn the whole thing. Right. I'm, I'm five ten, and and I'm not going to pitch like Jacob deGrom. So, right. and I think a lot of times younger players will, will, will watch, 
guys on on TV and they're like, oh, he throws a sinker, like that's nasty. Like I'm gonna throw, like I'm gonna throw a sinker. I'm gonna throw that slider. Like I'm and gonna. You could be the last person who should ever throw a sinker, <laughs> but you're gonna the rest of your career. You're gonna try to throw a sinker. Yeah, yeah. So like, right. just just making sure that you're understanding that these major league athletes are are elite and they might be very good compensators. So, so sometimes they might not have the best mechanics, but they might be so powerful or so fast or so elastic or something is just so above average that they can, they can compensate for their, for their flaws, but you may not be that type of athlete yet or just ever like some, some, right. right. So well, that's, the, yeah. and that, that's the understanding of outliers. So yep. like if, if you have say a thousand pitchers, where do they all lie when you're measuring you know, height, you know, all the anthropometrics, all the athleticism, all the pitch, you know, uh, data, like there's, there, most of them are going to cluster. Like they're all going to be very similar to each other, but then there's going to be these few that start popping out, out here. And they're just not, they're very different. There's some very unique things about them. And a lot of them are going to be really good. And some of them are going to be really bad, yeah. but they're outliers. And then people start gravitating to them. And to be honest, the game is trying to find those outliers. Like the, 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 the highest level of the game are trying to find those outliers. They're really, they'll use the cluster of the averages, the, the upper end, but they're really trying to find the outliers. Cause those are the guys that are unique that throw off hitters. Cause hitters don't see those guys that much. So the problem is, is when you're watching Major League Ball, you could be watching just a bunch of outliers, meaning that they are so different from you and there's not a good chance you'll be anything like them. And then you're going to spend the rest of your career trying to model yourself after someone you'll never be like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, for the for the younger kids listening or or the parents that don't know much about baseball that are listening, just just make sure when you're when you're watching MLB to understand that you may not have the same makeup as that MLB pitcher and you need to find a way that's going to work for you. You like, if you tailor your pitches to that guy, you, you might not get the same result, but if you can tailor pitches to who you are as a player and who you are as a person, you're going to find a lot more individual individuality within your mechanics and within your performance that can probably bring you to higher levels than trying to mirror somebody else. But you know, I mean, it's, it's not bad to watch and, and, and take in what they have regardless. So, right. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. a model. Like yeah. the problem is, is people are looking for a cheap model to learn from. So a cheap model to learn from is, you know, who they're watching on an, on an MLB game or who they're following on Instagram. The problem is, is that education could be not the best education for you. The better education to me in my eye, the, I, my eyes is, is in the science, like using a model, through a scientific lens that looks at thousands of maybe, you know, tens of thousands of pitchers and gives you an understanding of what they do on average and, and how it's really working on average. And there, therefore that's a good chance that that's something you could actually model as opposed to just picking a couple of guys you like in an MLB game or following some Instagram account <laughs> where the guy's just doing the same thing. He's just telling you about the two guys he loves to watch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, let's, let's get into, uh, let's get into linear versus rotation. So I, I, when I was scouring your page to come up with some content for this podcast, I really enjoyed watching you talk about being linear, but also adding in some rotation, right? Cause if we're, if we're one, we're just jumping towards the plate 
and we have no rotation, then we're going to have some issues. But if we're just flying off, like you said, and our body is disconnected from our trunk, then we're also going to have some issues. So you, you touch on kind of the balance and the mix of both. Yeah. I mean, linear to rotational is like a really super simple way of trying to understand the pitching delivery or the movements that the pitcher goes through. Um, to be completely accurate, anything in the body is really only measured through rotation, but that's like joint rotation. Every, everything the joints do is rotation. But what we mean by linear to rotational is really like the Cartesian grid. So if you take like 3D space and you separate it into the, you know, the X, Y, and Z planes, which would be, you know, the sagittal, the frontal, the transverse planes, um, we're trying to understand where are we linear, where are we rotational? And of course, it's really a combination or how, how to use those together to get the most amount of energy to the ball is really the key. Yep. And I, where I see it's best is it's linear to rotational. That's why the first movement is to move forward and also to stay closed. So the reason you move forward is to start the linear movement. And the reason you stay closed is to delay rotating too early. So at the end of the day, we really all try to start with that same approach, linear to rotational. Um, I mean, how many pitchers do you know the first thing they do is rotate? It just that's a little league pitcher, right? Yeah. So it really we're all trying to really do it, man. We're all trying to go linear to rotational. And that rotation is a complement of the linear energy because at the end of the day, we're trying to get all of our energy pushing out of our hand to the, to the target, which is linear. I mean, that's the ball goes in a linear path yep. to the target. Yep. So the more energy we can direct at release in the same path, it's going to be more efficient in how we get energy to the ball. So rotation really has to be a complement of linear energy. If it tries to dominate the linear energy, it creates the problems. Now, don't get me wrong. I could be in a meeting with, you know, a dozen GMs in Major League Baseball trying to sign or draft a bunch of pitchers. And they're not all going to want linear guys because, once again, they don't want everybody the same. Yep. Because then the hitters just see everybody the same. Yep. They are going to want these guys flying off. And they'll tell you to your face. And they know that they're going to get injured pretty quickly. But still, if they can get because in the, the day, GMs buy wins. If they can get 20 wins in the next two years out of the guy and he blows out, they don't care. They'll pay for those wins because the wins have a value to them. Right, right. So I'm on the end. And once again, we're, my perspective in all this is, is from the player. I'm, a, I'm coming from a player's perspective, meaning I'm player first. I'm thinking what's the best thing for the player. So when I'm talking about this, I'm thinking about the best thing that would help the player in the process. I want every player to be linear to rotation. The problem is, is if you're trying to be recruited or get attention at, at a high level, they're, not everybody's going to probably want you to be perfectly linear to rotational, perfectly efficient, because it might just be too boring. It might be just too average to them, and they might want you to be uh, a little more extreme in one area to create some, you know, something unique in your delivery or in your pitch and your spin to now all oh, now you're you're they you know now they're interested in you for example why pitchers uh, coaches make guys throw sidearm that's the reason they do that they make someone throw sidearm because 
what they were doing to throw a fastball over the top, it was pretty blah, right? It was pretty average. Yep. So they said, hey, let's drop them down. Let's make them more. What is dropping down makes you more rotational and you get more horizontal movement. And now they're like, oh, now that that works. You know, that plays. So the, the point is, you got to understand what you're trying to do. Are you trying to learn this for you as a player? Or are you trying to learn this to be, you know, unique and to be at more recruited or seen more exposure at a higher level? That's the challenge here. Yep. Yeah. And and I'm going to switch topics a little bit, but I'm really interested in the force vectors you talk about and have been seeing your your content over the last couple of days just talking about like force vectors and it'll be a, a video of you know the the joints moving together and I really like how you kind of emphasize but also use like an informational way of of going about describing what is working like what is working in the mechanics and then and then compare that with something that's not working and and show that in a in a visual space that people can understand it in a, in a very simple like concept not not crazy verbiage or language like everybody that sees that infographic everyone that sees that reel can understand what you're getting at so i i really like that but i, I want you to maybe dive deeper in into the force vectors and and what those are and where we see them and and how you use them I mean, you made a good point. Like most of my reels that actually get the most traffic is yep. where I don't talk. Yeah. <laughs> so people don't, and people get pissed. They're like, why don't you talk? I'm like, well, look at the, yep. the view count. Yeah. I shouldn't talk. Like, and the reason is, is because I, I mean, it's hard to explain this stuff. And, and the, you know, it's the old saying, a picture says a thousand words. Um, it's really every, the point when I speak, I'm trying to get you to understand and learn. But sometimes it's easier to learn in an image. And sometimes me speaking over that image almost ruins your ability to really understand it. So, I mean, I'll try my best to, to, to do it here. But at the end of the day, you're right. People just need to go and look at these images. Because for some reason, when you look at them and you see the right way and the wrong way, it's like it's an aha moment as opposed to letting sitting here and listening to me talk about it. So I would, I would highly recommend if people are hearing this to go look at those images. Um, my, my, my um, social media is at top velocity, but basically force vectors are angles of force. So there's forces going through your body. So the vectors are, where are they going? Really? It's what's the direction of all these, of where that energy is going through your bodies. And it's not just in the areas I'm talking about. When I talk about a force vector, it's just, it's one specific area where the energy is and where it's going. So, um, and I do that in my lectures. I'm like, well, how do we create energy? And, and we start there and use, it's all, you know, we start with the ground, energy out of the ground. And if you look at the pitching studies, it's really the only most, it's the most common studies by far that actually show not just energy that the movement is creating, it, it shows a level of it, but it shows in some studies how that level is different between low velocity and high velocity pitchers. There's really not many studies where you see the energy coming out of that movement in relation to the value or the amount of it and how it relates to the performance level. So you have to really respect ground force because like you said, it's the only thing where you, 
you can say there's so many studies saying that leap pitchers create more ground force. I mean, it's pretty obvious. And so, so of course we create energy out of the ground and I'm not going to go into that right now, how we do it. But once we do get it out of the ground, then where does it go? I mean, that's the other important part. It's like, yeah, I know how to load the gun. It's ready to fire. You know, the, the firepower is there. Now, where do I aim it or how do I aim it? That's just as important. So it's, that's, that's what's the force vector. And I, I'm usually talking about one of the initial force vectors, which is the force coming out of the drive leg. Because the drive leg is the only leg on the ground and in the initial part of the delivery. So it's the only leg in interacting with the ground to create energy. Therefore, the ankle to knee, the shin bone is a vector of when that force comes out of that ground, when you create it, it comes out of that ground, it's going to go through that shin. And wherever that shin's pointing, that's where that energy's going. And that's very important because if your energy's going away from you, that's not good. You want your energy moving with you through you to where you want the ball to release and, and receive that energy. So that's that shin needs to start moving, obviously, down towards your target, just like a sprinter does when he gets on the block. He starts taking his shin down. And if we don't do that, then you're really not you're going to do two things. You're you're probably not going to create a lot of ground force because it's not directed. So you're just not going to create it or you're going to go to create it and it's going to fly all over the place and you're going to get one of those back legs swinging around and twirling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So, so for yeah. the, for the younger players at home, if you don't understand the, the concept of, of ground force, let me, let me try to make it as easy as I can for you with a little exercise. So go outside, jump up into the air without touching the ground and try to throw a baseball. Like if, and if you have a radar radar, but there's no way that you're going to throw harder when you're not connected to the ground than when you are like, we, we literally can't make like the ground is where we get is where we get like the, the energy. And we're trying to get the ground energy to the ball in, in the most fluid and smooth way possible. So that's just like a simple way of, of going about it, go home, jump up in the air and try to make a throw. It's not, it's fun, but it's not that easy. And, and you're probably not going to pitch by doing that. So um, when we talk about ground force, that's that's what we're we're kind of talking about. And now we're going to get into kind of the last two controversial topics before we get into the rapid fire questions. But I want you to uh, cover long toss because I saw a great post that you had the other day on on long toss, and I, I that's a big topic in baseball, right? Some love it, some hate it. I want you to want you to take it on right now. Once again, it's a stress. It's an adding stress approach to developing performance and throwing. So for a coach, now I'm talking now, not just from an individual, but for a coach throwing a specific distance on a mass group of players, um, you're going to get mixed results. You're going to get some guys that do well, some guys that can't throw that far, and then some guys that get hurt. And if you look at, there was an old, uh, there was, there was a bunch of data from Modus a long time ago. It was like 70,000 pitchers that they recorded with the Modus sleeve. And it showed every age group where they redlined, meaning where their joint forces were at maximum peaks at what specific distances. I have the infograph. It's pretty wild. And if you look at all levels 120 is where it started. So there was a 
group of pitchers, even at the professional level, that 120, they started maxing out the stress on their arm, meaning like they were walking the line. And then you had some that at 220 feet, they could go until they got to that point. Um, so the, the point is, is like every pitcher is going to have a certain distance where their arm is at maximum stress. So to, for a coach to say, everybody go and throw this distance or go as far as you can, you're going to have some people throwing the, at those max distance at maximum stress and some not. So that's, that's going to be a problem. You're going to have the guys who are throwing at maximum stress. If they had to throw a pitch a game tomorrow. Those guys could be more fatigued tomorrow. And then what's the problem with that is when you're fatigued, when you're pitching fatigued, you're 36 times more likely to have an injury. Fatigue is the enemy, right? For, for injury. That's what yeah. causes it. So that's a problem coaches. So once again, it's kind of crazy when you hear coaches say, we've got to customize our training. It has to be specific for the athlete. And then he's like, everybody go out and throw long toss. Like there's no customization there. You know, so if we're going to customize and individualize, we need to do it across the board and we need to be careful with modalities that just clump everybody into a, into the same group. Not only that, if you look at the ASMI study, they found that when pitchers got to maximum distance, their velos started to go down because they started increasing the trajectory. So the moment you're, you start, you stop throwing on a line and you start throwing up, your velos start going down because you're using trajectory for distance now and not velocity for distance. So when you tell someone to stay on a line, you're forcing them to use velocity for distance. When you let them go up, they now can use trajectory for distance. The problem with that is they're changing their mechanics to change the trajectory. You have to change your release point. It starts coming back and back and back. And what happens is you shut the trunk off and now the trunk can just rotate. It really can't go forward. And then when the trunk can just rotate, now your legs just rotate. They're not going forward. And now what happens is the torques start exploding on your arm because you're shutting the kinetic chain down because you're releasing the ball earlier. And now you're using more of your arm. So this, that's why the stresses go up. So think about that. The moment you come out of throwing on a line and you start changing trajectory, you start taking away your velocity, using trajectory and in the process of using trajectory you start changing your mechanics and the studies say they're not even the same mechanics you use on the mound so now you're pitching completely different and now the stress if you're trying to push it now the stress is going up way higher than it was when you were throwing on a line so when i say long toss i'm really more against the max distance long toss when you make those trajectory changes mechanical changes that's where it's a problem for me i don't want guys doing that um, but on top of that, like too, like, I don't want to ever put a pitcher in to give them many different ways of throwing. I'm one of one set way of throwing. I try to make their wind up like their stretch. I don't want them doing long toss different than they, how they throw in the mound. Just like I wouldn't want a hitter hitting different in BP than he does in a game. That's why, you know, most hitters don't like home run derbies because it messes their swings up. Pitchers need to think the, think the same way. Throwing at high trajectories for max distance, how is that not different than playing the home run derby? It's not the same mechanics, and therefore it's going to, I believe it's going to create inconsistencies in your, your ability to move well. All different arm slots. We're not all the same pitcher. We're, we're, we're different arm slots. We're different body types, et cetera. 
if if you don't like long toss, it doesn't like it, you you don't have to do it. Like it's it's not something that that needs to happen. If if you like it, like go ahead and and, and do it. But it doesn't have to be something that everybody does. Everyone wants to throw differently. Everyone wants to have different days off in between like it's all it's not one way there can be so many different ways to do it so if you don't like long toss and your arm slot doesn't you you don't want to do it with your arm slot don't do it if you do whatever do it but but I think it's just important to understand that not every pitcher has to do the same thing you don't have to long toss to, to be great like you don't have to do these things there's plenty of MLB players that go to 120 every day like and it it just changes you talk or you listen to podcasts with a bunch of different MLB guys and everybody has a different way of going about things so there's not this one way that's a correct way so that's just something to think about and understand when when you're trying to understand how your throwing program for the week should be or how 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 you're going to schedule your week and your your throwing um and and I want to touch on another controversial thing more old school and and new school but I don't know if you if you have any thoughts on this, but poles or sprints. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that argument hopefully is one. Yeah. I mean the the sprints have won. Yeah. Um but you still see coaches using it. But of course, you know, all the studies show um long distance running, specifically at low intensities, reduce uh you know, the it, your body basically wants to eat your fast switch muscle fiber. So if you're building fast switch muscle fiber, say in your lifting and say your speed and agility training, long distance running is eating it up. It's actually going, Hey, I'm just going to use this muscle for energy because I need it. Um, And also too, because of that, if you start eating your fast switch muscle fiber, you're eating your lean mass, meaning it's breaking down. Now your testosterone is going down because you need a lot of testosterone to maintain lean mass. So now you're losing testosterone. There's been studies that show, it decreases elasticity in the joints and muscles and the tendons, probably because of the testosterone going down. There's nothing good for pitchers in long distance running. Now, a lot of people come to you anecdotally <laughs> and they're like, well, I know this guy, he runs all the time. And I know this major league pitcher and he runs all the time. Yeah, there's certain body types genetically have so much fast twitch muscle fiber, you, you can't get it out of their body. And those are the dudes who can run long distance and it works out for them. But then I have guys who've come in here at 160 pounds and we lifted them for two yep. years and they got to 215. And then one season, a coach made them run for three months, you know, five miles every three, four days. And they dropped back down to 160 and it, their velos tanked. So some guys are going to really deteriorate in long distance running and other guys aren't. Yeah. It's once and again, it's that individual. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm also a big fan of sprinting and I know that, the old school poles have kind of started to disappear, which is, which is good. And, and, you know, I, I, when we pitch, we're, we're doing it in a very short period of time. And also it just, it's fun to sprint. So why don't you go outside and just sprint whether it's on a hill or not and have some fun with it. Uh, But you you know, you know why we won that argument? It's because, you know, that was a, you know, y'all like to say boomer, uh, a boomer approach, right? And it was, and, and, and really the game forced that to change. And, and if you go back to when that was, you know, popular way of training was like 60s, 70s, you know, into the eighties, the reason it started changing into the eighties is because they started, they created the relief pitcher, you know, 
you went 70s, yep. every p- starting pitcher threw nine innings, you know. When that relief pitcher showed up, that all of a sudden now you got not just relief pitchers, now you got a closing pitcher. The closing pitcher role became popular. And then all of a sudden now you hear today, like starters are barely going five innings <laughs> because statistically they suck yep. after, you know, the third, the second time through the lineup. What you're doing is you're taking an athlete and you're going, hey, we don't need you to endure as many pitches every game. We're going to give you much less pitches and we're going to use much more of you. So they literally change the athlete, the, the demands of the athlete. We said, hey, you're not going to throw as much. So now we want you to throw higher, harder. So when everybody's like, why are guys throwing so much harder today? It's because those are probably asking that were 80s babies, 90s babies. And they're literally the game is literally changed from when they knew it as, as a kid. That has a lot to do with the velocity changes. Not only that, there's all other factors, but and that has a lot to do with why these old modalities like long distance running is getting flushed out because the game's changed so dramatically. For questions wise, I'm gonna start to get into the rapid fire questions. So just whatever comes to mind first, say it. Uh, so we'll start up. Favorite book. Oh man, I mean, I've been reading uh, class books for I don't know, thirty years. It feels like. Yeah. So I don't have much time for that. So I'm I'm all in my textbooks. Um, I mean, it's just amazing how books in baseball are now available. When I was a kid, the best thing we had was the Nolan Ryan's pitching Bible. And it was just really yep. cool to see Nolan in the 90s showing his lifting approach. I mean, he was a big, big lifter. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I've heard the sports, what is the sports code? I heard that. I've read a little bit. That was a good book. I mean, I really haven't read much. It's just really literally textbooks. You know, and I would yep. encourage anyone out there to get advanced degrees in, in these fields if you like it. Uh, it's so much fun to learn all this information, the science, and it's really beneficial to not just your baseball, but to your health. Favorite memory from baseball and outside of baseball? Um, for me, it was, um, you know, getting to play minor league or indie, independent minor league ball. You know, I got to play in California. I got to play in San Diego. Doing that, I got to play with my idol, Jose Canseco. You know, getting to do that for me was really good closure. I think every in this game, it, it, we, we play this game very young and we all have dreams. So when you can get your dreams or get close to your dreams, it really helps you close your your career, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite food? I'm a steak guy, man. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I go nuts on steak, so. What, uh, what cut? I mean, all of it, like fillets, ribeyes. Cowboys. I mean, all of it, man. Just, all right, perfect. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's my favorite too. Yeah. Uh, might this one might be a little, little something to chew on, but what is something uncomfortable that you want to start doing in order to grow? Right now I'm doing it right now. I'm 47 yeah. and I'm training with my pro guys. I'm lifting with them, throwing with them. I'm doing everything with them at 47. And then yep. it's not that we can't do it at 47. It's just, you get you've done it for so long, man. It's just, it's monotonous and it's just, you got to get used to the everyday grind, you know? Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, something you often forget you're grateful for. I'm grateful for you guys. I'm grateful for every new generation that comes along and then that's thirsty for knowledge. I mean, cause I, I mean, I wouldn't be here if there wasn't always a young generation that wants to learn and understand and I mean, I think the only beef I have with the young generations is they're losing the training edge. They're they're 
they're wanting to do skill work a lot more than the the dirty work, the training work. And that's the only frustration on and and the and the things that are concerning right now. Um yep. I'm definitely seeing the Latin cultures are way more open to it than the American cultures. And I think it's what's unfortunately kind of destroying the American game right now. Why there's almost a majority of international players at the major league level compared to Americans. I think Americans need to step it back up and start training hard again. Love it. Um, best life lesson that baseball has taught you? Um, humbled. I mean, baseball is the game of failure. So like learning to fail and like not, I mean, you can, you can, your emotions are there to kind of help you learn from the experience. But when you can get to a place where you don't take it personally, I think when you can look at the game as, as just an opportunity to learn about your life and that's, it's a blessing to be a part of it and try to always find the silver lining. Um, I think that's the greatest experience of the game and, and the, and the failure model that we play in is what really forces us to do that. If not, you, you wind up quitting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's a great lesson. And then the last one we got advice to your five-year-old self. Oh man. I mean, at this age, like to be able to go back, um, I would, I would probably die 10 times. I mean, it, it would be so much fun because later in life you have so much better understanding of it and you, and you realize you would have made much better choices. So I think when you're young, trying to learn as much as you can, I mean, it sounds cliche but it's like with my pro guys in here, I'm like, I'm just constantly forcing them to keep their eyes open and learn, 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 dude. Like just, you just got to look at it as if that's why successful people read books all the time, the more you can learn and suck up, the more you take advantage of your life. It's just, yeah. it, it really is an ignorance problem. Most people have. Yeah. I, I mean, all those, all these lessons that, that you're talking about too are, gonna get your your baseball performance better but they're also gonna just take you to heights in your life regardless whether you're a parent or or uh in in business or whatever so yeah i mean all these all these things are good to think about and and maybe implement in in your life if you're listening and the last last thing i just want to give brent i want to give you some time right now to just give your you know your social media tags or where where people can find you and and where they can find your content because because i think some guys would would really uh benefit from from your stuff man i appreciate it and i appreciate the opportunity to be on your your podcast and i'm i'd be happy to promote it and get it out there for you you know i'm i'm at top velocity so pretty much anything on social media at top velocity um topvelocity.net.com we have uh the domains we've licensed it so meaning you'll see people using the models and, and the education <laughs> around the country. And so it's, it's growing and it keeps going out there and I love to be a part of it. Um, yeah. And so just at top velocity and reach out to us, we'd love to talk. So. Yeah, that's, that's all we got for today, guys. If, if you have any guests that you think would be cool on the podcast, please email us. And if, if you'd like to be on the podcast, please email us at primalbaseball, P-R-I-M-A-L-B-S-B-L at gmail.com. And that's all we got for today. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks. Thanks, Brett, for coming on. Thank you, man. That was awesome.